Marshall and Sagar here. Welcome back to The Realignment. I'm really excited about today's episode. Sagar and I chatted with Sri Ram Krishnan and Arthi Ramurthy, investors and hosts of The Good Time Show, which folks may remember from hashtag TPT Clubhouse days when their show blew up during the pandemic when they interviewed a bunch of really big guests like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. Now, The Good Time Show is on YouTube, so I definitely recommend people check out their growing channel. They've got a bunch of really great conversations on tech, investing, and entertainment, plus Hollywood. That link is in the show notes. Considering that Sagar is coming from DC and I'm coming from Texas, it's really great to check in on these tech issues with builders and investors out in the Bay Area like Sriram and Arti. We cover a bunch of great topics today, including social media, what the future of Twitter looks like, but how other social platforms are going to navigate the real crash and usage and engagement they're going through, crypto after the crash, critiques of the media, the impact of chat GPT-3, AI, and a bunch of other great things. Like I said, in the YouTube version, this interview goes a little longer than normal, but I think that's great. And it's great to do a bit of more of a discussion-based format. So definitely looking forward to finding other great guests who we can do that with. Quick notes before we get into the episode check out the link to the Supercast. Sagar and I released another Q&A episode yesterday that we merged with the discussion. So if you go to the realignment.supercast.com link, you can get the link to subscribe and get access to that content and submit your own questions. Secondly, tomorrow is Friday, so the Substack is going to come out. So definitely check that out. Last but not least, lots of books have been mentioned recently. So check out our bookshop. We get 10%. You also get a great book. Huge thank you to Lincoln Network for supporting our work. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Arti and Sriram, welcome to The Realignment. Thank you for having us. Long time callers, uh, well, <laughs> listeners, uh, always kind of wanted to, you know, see like Sagar, like after dark, right? We always see him in his uh, suit, daylight saving time, hating Europe, yes. coffee hating persona. Uh, and I kind of wanted to see the darker side of Sagar and Marshall, you know, big fan of yours, less big fan of Sagar, but here we are. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. okay. I don't take it personally. I'm glad to have you, glad yeah, to see you guys on the show. I yeah. feel like we made it. We've, you know, we've, we are officially here. We've made it. We've made it to the realignment. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was looking, you know, you folks had such so many amazing episodes, yeah. right? So the goal for this is to crush all of your previous guests. So, okay. you know, Zaihan, my boss, Mark Andreessen, right? some of these folks, like we need to beat that view con. So that's the goal uh, coming after you, Mark. <laughs> all yeah, right, let's do it. Of course. So let's, uh, let's just like kick off by setting the stage for something that every single listener is going to identify with. It really feels like we're unironically at the end of something in Silicon Valley. Every other week, there's a tweet about how like Uber sucks now. Airbnb is a disaster. I love hotels again, personally. There's obviously a lot of drama about like social, just to put aside Twitter for a second, there's drama about, like, are we in the end of like the social media era? Body, 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 goes on forever. I would love to hear from the two of you, like, what is your read of Silicon Valley from within Silicon Valley right now? Also, oh, SF may be back. Someone just told me this two days ago. They're like, oh, by the way, SF is cool again. So it's yeah. just like so difficult to keep track of all the narratives. But where are you guys at? We have no idea if SF is back or not, because we basically live in our 
this 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 square few blocks and you know we have two small kids and so our entire life revolves around this very suburban part of sf with strollers and that's our world we are not cool people <laughs> and so we don't know the downtown we used to live there long long time ago yeah, yeah. but we are not there anymore so we we have no idea we go to the same restaurants we eat the same food it's all the same kind yeah, of we don't get out much we live in this black cube <laughs> over here uh i think there are two three four inter- uh, narratives to parse i think one narrative is covid everything that happened and is there a rebound post covid and i said that's one narrative second maybe more interesting narrative uh is the zero interest rate phenomenon um and the bull market and the the, the downstream effects of that and what happened here but maybe the most fun one to start off with is the landscape of social media because that seems to be dramatically mm. changed so um i think 4 years ago uh, let's kind of maybe go into reverse order so 4 years ago you know I used I spent for folks who may not know this I spent pretty much most of my professional career working on social media companies like you know uh, I was a nerdy Thanos collecting the infinity gauntlet of social media companies I collected Facebook I collected Snapchat I collected Twitter twice um and <laughs> so I, I I've been on the block uh you know I didn't haven't worked for TikTok yet and uh so and I think by 2016 2017 there was a uh, thesis that social media is dead like you know the number of apps that you install on your phone are going to end it's going to be instagram facebook uh uh you know and uh, twitter snap and that's it we couldn't have been more wrong when we thought that because a few things want to happen uh, one is the original era of social media was you post content and we give you eyeballs that was a deal that was a compact right then people are like wait a minute i'm making a living i mean folks like you folks like sagar crystal you creators right uh well uh, like hey we are making a living from this we're going to professional creators and the compact change it changed the adult world with only fans it changed the celebrities with cameo and all of a sudden the rise of creators meant that you had these people who had huge followings and influence who could know our social media companies hey i just want views and followers i need to make a business i have real power here so mm-hmm. that one different dynamic second we were so wrong that you know you know the you know all historically the, every 50 years somebody says all oh, innovation is dead science has invented everything well turns out we were also wrong about that because after 2016 what happened uh bydance bought uh musically uh infuse all the ai uh depending on who you talk to infuse a bunch of uh influence from china and um and but it blew up right and for a bunch of interesting actually very solid product and technology reasons you can maybe go into so uh, that happened and then you know uh the that intersected with the all the political stuff that you folks have covered uh you know on all of your shows and it turns out well, social media can really influence the politics of a country uh and a western civilization and who actually controls these social media companies became a very interesting topic which i think in turn has led to just kind of wrap on the social media side what i spend a lot of my time on which is web3 and crypto and what does it mean for decentralized social media right and of course you know with a a, a certain uh, uh uh you know extremely well known founder buying twitter kind of thing so that's just on the social media side on the uh the zero rate phenomenon there has been a bull market for many years uh, cost of capital is low a lot of people could go out raise money whether it's be a startup whether it's be a vc fund across the board um and uh you had a bunch of books that are extremely well capitalized and then for a bunch of reasons i think we just all want to that stuck mm-hmm. right capital is hard to uh come by so now you're seeing all these downstream phenomena right like so on the big tech side we have friends who spent 15 years working at google work at the ranks who thought that's why they're going to retire who now suddenly out of a job and their hearts go out to them but you have a lot of people who are like wait a minute um, my job isn't safe at big tech nobody's hiring anymore and the big tech execs like 
well, maybe we can run things differently. Maybe we can run things a lot less people. Maybe we can be more hardcore, less focused on some of the culture wars. That's a whole set of things to pack. On the startup side, again, a lot of time spent back, uh, I spend a lot of time and it's like a lot of people, a lot of money, but often not in a product market fit. And it's hard to raise new money. So there's a bunch of stuff going on in there, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, which you know, which are all intersecting together. Arthi, you want to dig into any of that? Um, I think Marshall, when you started talking about, uh, you know, some Silicon Valley social media, it wasn't like social media lens. I think Shuram's covered. I look at all these other companies. You know, you talked about Airbnb and Uber and all of these folks. I don't know. I feel like I'm still bullish on a lot of them. Um, I still think this is a time like Silicon Valley is always about a bunch of, you know, these these hooligans who didn't really fit into the scene anywhere else in the country. You know, we couldn't like get well dressed and get like actual jobs. You show up here and you start a company and you kind of like eat ramen and work in a garage and you build something. And I think that promise hasn't quite changed. Uh, you still see a lot of builders just, you know, cranking away. Uh, you know, last week I spoke to a bunch of companies that are going to be in the next batch of like Y Combinator. And uh, I still like that is the reason why we are here. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of the dream that we still believe in. So, yes, these companies will like go like they'll have these like, you know, these moments of crisis and distress and these pit, like this, these highs of success. But that ultimate like builders come here and build things hasn't quite changed yeah. yet. I think just uh, what I would add on to what Arti said is that it it feels like genuinely things are changing and nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, GPT, large LLMs yeah. could upturn all of the, all of capitalism, right? Definitely a lot of technology, yeah. right? Crypto could upturn how big social media companies and other companies are run and maybe your financial systems. Uh, and so it, there are so many things in flux. So, you know, we might be at the, you know, a minor Austrian prince was shot and what's going to happen next era of like technology. Yeah, that's a great, that's maybe, a good way maybe, of putting it. Maybe without a lot of, lot of all yeah. the bad stuff. Yeah. And, and, and Sagar, before I jack your spot, I just want to clarify real quick on, on RT's point. Um, I totally agree. This isn't like a, a bear case against Uber or Airbnb. I guess kind of mean that I when I think of narratives, right? Because we're East Coast people, we think of things in narratives. I think of the narrative as being it's 2008. There's now an iPhone. There are these legacy incumbent businesses. And the opportunity is to introduce tech, quote unquote, to introduce mobile computing. And that will solve this problem that you're experimenting, experiencing with bad hotels, terrible mm-hmm. taxi companies. And it seems like we've eaten to t- steal from Tyler Cowen a lot of the low hanging fruit of yeah. what the issues were with taxis and hotels. So the next tasks for builders are going to be, how do you address cleaning fees? That next end, where actually it turns out hotels are great at that part. But Sagar, come back in, please. Yeah, I want to dig into kind of what you were talking about there, Shiram. We have an immense amount of audience interest, and I can see it in the tech layoffs. I know that was one of your guys' biggest episode um, over on your podcast. I'm curious for how you guys think that's going to shape the next generation. So Paul Graham famously always talked about, you know, what was it, building companies in the recession in 2008, how that actually was good for innovation. So here we have this lesson of we're we're watching every major big tech company cut almost 10% of their workforce. Devastating for a lot of people, I've never going to cheer that on. But of course, uh, you know, like, look, Twitter 
they fired what 90% or something of the staff. I'm not going to say my user experience has been fantastic, but the core product does work. And, you know, by all, by all metrics, engagement and all of those things do exist. So if I'm Microsoft, if I'm zoom, if I'm Google or any of these Amazon, any of these companies, I'm learning a fundamental lesson of like, Hey, actually, I don't need to have some of this. What does that look like though? Whenever you guys at the incubation startup phase, how does it change the way that your founders and the next generation of builders are going to look at these? Oh man, um, that's that that has been the conversation in the last month, couple months. Pretty much every founder we talk to, everyone here, like this is the this is the thing. This is the thing at like dinner conversations mm -hmm. everywhere else. Um, you know, part of it is a lot of these big companies grew a lot through the pandemic. You know, we all went remote, we all stayed home, and these companies, you know, grew by fifty percent, hundred percent, tripled. It was just you know, unjustifiable growth in the number of employee count when the bottom line didn't grow, like the revenue didn't grow that fast, uh, margins didn't grow that big. Uh, and it just like really started eating into the baseline of these businesses. Um, and you're seeing the effects of that now. And I think, you know, you're starting to see the 10 percentage kind of layoffs. There's going to be more. Um, I don't think they've even started like scratching the surface of wow. how do they actually get more efficient mm -hmm. um, as a business and part of it is just like you know people and headcount and just like cutting that through i think that's one part of it second you've, we've just collected a lot of craft in the process like how do we ship things how do we build things who makes decisions through the pandemic i think we've all kind of lost that culture of like be scrappy get things out the door and i think you're seeing this great reset starting to happen in front of us where Part of it is headcount, part of it is like employee processes, cultures, yeah. all of that. And like flattening out the layers and decision making just being much more streamlined. You're seeing that. And then for founders, I think they are now finally less afraid. Uh, earlier, they they had this pressure uh, to go mimic these big companies. Oh, I need like a head of sales and a VP of whatever. And now they're like, actually, I don't. I just need to like go sell these products and find people who would use it. And if they're not using it, then I have a problem. I have to go build something better or go pivot my business. And I think a lot of founders are starting to come back to, it's the fun fundamentals that really matter. Mm -hmm. It like all these like virtue signaling and titling and all of that stuff, it doesn't really matter. It never moved the needle. It's not going to move the needle now. Big companies are realizing it. We should have never like veered away from it. And I think it's, it, I think net net it's healthy for the ecosystem and the laid off people, we did a whole episode on this too, right? I think it, it sucks to be laid off. I think, uh, you know, we've been there where, you know, at 2008, when we were at Microsoft, they did their first ever layoffs and like the 30 year history at that point. And it was brutal. Like we couldn't see what end the end was going to look like. My visa process got affected. Um, it was just crazy all around. But I think at the end of it, uh, you had these people who got laid off go out and start building companies or they went and joined other startups and they started figuring out what else they should be using their skill set for. And as much as it sucks to say, say this, it net net, it works out. It like, you know, the good people figure out what else to go build and add value and create. Mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I think Arti covered the founder side so well. I think the big tech part yeah, is way worth like, examining. There has been a playbook of how to run big tech companies for the last six, seven years. Um, and I think that's often based on you have this fundamental business, which spits off a lot of money. You have hundreds of millions of users, you know, depending on your category. You kind of 
doing well and you can hire like crazy. Somebody showed me the stats that I was pointing out. Like I think some of these companies have grown 90% last two years. So wow. uh, when you think about a 10% layoff, they're actually back to 2021 numbers. So yeah. uh, just to keep perspective, it's not like they're back several years. Yeah. So, But there was kind of a playbook, which was often a lot of distractions, uh, you know, lots of title inflation, org inflation, a lot of people trying to climb in, uh, internal ranks. No fault of this. That's kind of human uh, incentive. Now, today, uh, you mentioned Twitter and Elon. I probably had connection probably at least seven, eight high-profile founders and CEOs of stage companies who all told me versions of something like this. They said, we've been watching Elon closely. We may not be signing up for all the controversial things. We may not tweet the same things he does, right? But what he's doing is really shifting the Orton window of what is possible with much lesser people. If yeah. Twitter could go from 8,000 people to 1,000 people, and to your point, kind of keep working, Maybe not everyone would do it the same way in the same style or say things that we can debate that. But they're like, I don't know whether I need 100,000 people to run my company, which has maybe three, four times Twitter's usage. Like, I think something proportional. So, and I think a lot of folks are now having, I was talking to a very well-known CEO who was like, I went to my exec team and I said, why can't we do what Elon does? And they were like, but we're really like, but forget the style. But we should do this with a lot less. And they're having this really, really hard yeah. conversation. So it's really shifted the Overton window and a lot of companies mm -hmm. internally. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that impact keep playing out. Yeah, since we're on the Elon topic, I just love to, obviously, like, I don't want to get too far down like an unhelpful, um, you know, crypto decentralization rabbit hole, just because I don't know how prices work. Sagar and I, like we're not crypto people, so like, we can't go deep on it. But something I do want to know, um, is uh, why did decentralized crypto-based like blockchain social networks not take off? That's the really interesting like kind of like analytical story because if you think about it, you had oh you got actually kind of a, let me set this up. You had a weird situation in the past few years. So um, with Trump getting deplatformed off of Twitter, you had a lot of people on the right basically saying, oh like we don't like. Um, the centralized, like powerful, like tech companies. But that was very, once again, like I was a right wing focused, like discourse. If you're like center left and to the left, you not only probably liked what Twitter did, but you probably didn't care. Mm -hmm. With Elon coming into power at Twitter, you had the opposite phenomenon kind of happen. You had a lot of like center left to left folks saying, oh man, look at all the centralized power. This is bad, blah, 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 blah. It seems to me that this was the perfect opportunity for someone to say, look, forget ETH. Forget, you know, Bitcoin and the prices. At a core level, there's a decentralization-centric technology here that can address a lot of these questions. Um, what didn't happen that maybe should have happened? Or is just sort of this be thought of the fact that, like, people tried to do things like Facebook in the late 90s. It just like, wasn't quite there yet. Like, how should we well, think about it? First of all, amazing reference because I don't know if you read my mind. I've used the exact analogy with Elon multiple times to a lot of other people. Uh, and we much and I have not talked before this, but I've used I've made the exact same point that with Twitter, all of a sudden there are people on both sides of the spectrum going like, hey, maybe if we don't agree with the person running this, you know, um, what happens, which is kind of an interesting shift. So I'll say, you know, uh, just a full disclaimer, you know, I work at uh, a large uh, crypto VC fund, and we actually have multiple investments in decentralized social networks. And I actually think this is going to be one of the, and I'm very biased, but I actually think this is going to be one of the most interesting categories this year and coming years for a few reasons. So uh, first off is, uh, first of all, like, 
these words can mean a lot of things to different people. So maybe we just kind of like quickly define what these are. So yeah. when people think crypto, they think a lot of things. They think tokens, prices, et cetera, right? I, I think of crypto, and I stole this from Chris Dixon, uh, who I work for. Uh, there are two things. One is you can call the casino. It's a lot of trading, a lot of prices moving up and down. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about crypto as in the world computer. You run a program, everyone across the world can see what is happening, um, you know, have access to it, verified. And that's what the core of things running on top of something like Ethereum is. Now, we can go super deep on this, but let's just say we're treating the world computer. And the heart of decentralized social is, I think, a really a reaction to two things from um, social media companies over the last 10 years. So uh, it, I think so, some of us, I think Sagar and I have some private conversation about this, right? Uh, Sagar and Crystal and you folks, right? You know, if YouTube, Susan Wojcicki wakes up tomorrow and says like, I don't like Sagar's thoughts on suits, F that guy, right? And takes you <laughs> off the platform or maybe she has a great like European coffee experience and mm -hmm. Sagar really pisses her off, right? That'll be the end, you know, or that'll have like a very negative impact on breaking point. It won't be the end, yes. you get amazing, you know? Yeah. But you know, but and but on the other hand, you have an email audience, but that is yours. Like nobody can take it away from you. And that is how the internet used to work, right? The internet used to work where you, if you had an email audience or if you had a web browser, you could do anything and nobody, you know, no one team, and Susan's amazing, all these folks are amazing, but no one team of execs sitting in a conference room in Silicon Valley could take that away from you, right? So, and I think that world has shifted. Uh, and for the first time in a few years, people are starting to realize, hey, you know, uh, I don't want to get, you know, you can say deplatformed, censored, shadow banned, uh, you know, muted, visibility filtered, deboosted, deamplified. There's a zillion words for this, right? It's literally the idea is I don't want some set of people, you know, who have control over everything deciding what I get to say and not say, yeah. right? I want to be able to directly reach my audience. So mm -hmm. that is one part of it. And I think that's one key value prop to decentralized uh, social, which is it's really, it's actually, I would flip it. It is not you folks having an email list and having access. It is their subscribers having access to you. Yeah. I mm. choose to follow you, right? And nobody should remove that relationship. And yeah. I think that's and very then today you're seeing the top creators like you. You're all doing this too, which is you're hacking the decentralization by just being on different platforms and being mm -hmm. everywhere and owning your audience through email lists, owning your audience on Substack. And like you're seeing this already happen, except that it's not happening on a decentralized platform. You're decentralizing you yeah. as a creator by being everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, so that, I think you're doing this, and email is probably the best example of this. So that's value prop one. Value prop two is many, many years ago, you know, uh, you know, like, I don't know, like, I'm very old, but when I grew up, right, like, you could use email from any number of clients, even today, right? You can use a Gmail app, you can use a mail app. Email is a protocol. Like, nobody's really forcing you to use an app. But when you use Instagram, you got to use the Instagram app, um, you know? And, uh, um, and in fact, if you go back through history, a lot of the amazing innovations, for example, the, say, even Twitter, came from think, stuff that other people built. Uh, this is a bit before a lot of people's time, but I'll give you an example. The at tag, the at reply was invented outside Twitter. The mm -hmm. hashtag was invented by this Chris guy named Messina. Chris, uh, Chris Messina, right? Uh, who used it as a, uh, as a phenomenon. The Twitter iOS client was actually acquired because it was the, the kind of the leading mobile app among many, right? There was URL shorteners like Bitly and a lot of these URL shorteners. So there's an entire ecosystem of things where people could build on top of a central platform. Now, what wound up happening is for a lot of these, and Instagram was similar, a lot of the other books similar. What wound up happening was those things tend to be incompatible with an ad business, which if your <laughs> business, 
is showing, and by the way, I spent five years working on ads. I love the ad business. We can debate that. But you know, if your business is sick, when people see me, I'm going to show you something. You can have other people show you things without me being in the middle, right? Like you just can't have that. Um, and so over time, a lot of these clients got removed and it was like, hey, if you want a new Instagram feature, if you want Instagram to support reels or support Instagram, Adam Mosseri or somebody sponsored by and hired to build it. That's the way things work, right? Now, Decentized Social is not that. Decentized Social basically says, look, anybody can build on this stuff. It is infinitely uh, composable. Now, you can take it in multiple directions. So you can say, uh, one, it gives you sovereignty, right? Mm -hmm. You can say nobody can cancel you. You can use a different client, which has, you know, the people that subscribe to your political belief. That's kind of one lens of things. The other lens of things is like, maybe you want a different experience. You want to have only video uh, on your social media, or you want to have only disappearing chat, whatever it is, you can have that experience. And anybody's free to build on it, just like anybody's free to build on email. So these two value props are just kind of, it's a bit of a long speech, but these two value props are very, very important. And I think now we're seeing a bunch of companies, um, you know, one of ones I like to talk about, and I'm an investor in this, is a company called Farcaster, uh, uh, you know, which is led by this very long-term uh, crypto founder, a guy named Dan Romero. And, we were just on Moment of Zen with him, so listeners have uh, heard of from Dan. Yeah, Love awesome. Yeah. So he explains a lot better than I do. But there are others, right? Like there are others like Lens Protocol, then I, I would say the uh, ecosystem. No, they're all very early. You know, everyone will admit that. And they all have to solve the unique problem of like, hey, is this fun to use for tens of millions, hundreds of million people? That's a game. But we are bullish because I do think, tying this all back, there is no point in time where people are like, hey, maybe I don't want one set of people to control the things I say. And maybe those things are not just the culture was in the US, right? What if is the Chinese government? What if somebody else? Like, I, I want transparency. I want to see what's going on. And so I'm very bullish on decentralized social. Yep. Real quick, Interesting. Um, yeah, because this is kind of my standard when I talk to um, Web3 um, crypto folks. Um, so A, I remember, I'm sure you two remember the first time you ever used Facebook. Um, I was, I I was at I was at a debate camp and at Stanford and this kid's like, hey, I've checked this thing out. Like Facebook had just been opened up uh, to high schoolers. So I signed up. I'm like, this is so much better than MySpace. It's clean. It was incredible. Yeah. I feel as if my skepticism when I hear crypto pitching, you're not pitching crypto, you're describing decentralized social media. I'm mm -hmm. not hearing. And once again, like it's a thing for someone to build. So I'm, really, I'm really basically saying this is what builders should be focused on. I think folks are waiting for something positive, not just the absence of something. So it's not enough to say, hey, Mark Zuckerberg, or Elon, or the CCP, or like Section 230, that's like the absence of something you don't like. Right. What, what, what would the two of you see as being, and this could be hypothetical, what would be that additive thing where someone says like, holy crap, it's 2006 again? Uh, I, I can take a shot. Uh, uh, you're 100% right, right? You know, the appeal for crypto can't be people rejecting censorship. Because I think at the end of the day, that's going to be a very small set of people. It has to be offer something new and fun to a large set of people. And I have a theory. So one of my favorite posts ever about the history of social media companies, um, and I'm so jealous I didn't write this, is a post called Status as a Service by a guy named Eugene Wei. Uh, you know, highly recommend linking to it uh, in the show notes. And what it basically says is that like, uh, uh, every social media company has the same path to success, which is something like this. You get a set of high status people uh, and we get to what status means, who are underserved by an existing social media platform to come to you and they become the core. You kind of create these boundaries around them and they create a part of something new. By the way, kind of true for countries too. The folks who came over to New England from Europe were not the richest people mm -hmm. in Europe, right? Like, mm -hmm. so, but, uh, but they're pioneers, uh, obviously, the, the original pioneers. So if you look at this, you know, Facebook, what do they do? Facebook is like, let's get 
kids in Harvard, right? Some of the most high status people around, then kids in other Ivy League schools. And they made it very desperate. It was only, you know, it was such a status thing. And by the way, every time something expanded, the existing folks fought so hard to exactly. not have it expand. It yeah. still happens. You know, like five years ago, by the way, Instagram folks fought to not have it expand from iOS to Android. Very similar to the Harvard kids. They're like, we can have these Yale kids have this Facebook. We which <laughs> only special to us. We are cool. So, but every single time it is high status people having access to something exclusive. Now, then every single time, what also happens is like they have to be underserved by existing Damn. platforms. So for example, like uh, if you look at TikTok, the breakout star on TikTok was Charlie D'Amelio because Charlie D'Amelio was an amazing dancer highly relatable. And she was underserved by Instagram, whose whole thing was you look amazing in a, in a kind of a 2D visual, right? So the meta kind of changed, right? If you look at Snapchat, Snapchat was a counterculture reaction to Facebook being like, you need to have your entire story and narrative right. of your life on yeah. Facebook at all times. So like, no, no, no. The only thing which matters is what happened last 24 hours. And by the way, you cannot post a selfie and we're going to make you look good and give you a social license to do so. So you left a small town, came to New York and you're reinventing yourself. Nobody <laughs> needs to know where you went to school. You are now you. And so every one of these platforms basically retook a set of people who are underserved, created new social capital, and then were after the races. So Same I think with so. The, I think the other example is Discord, right? Like, and Discord is all about finding that niche set of people who didn't belong in any of these like bigger platforms, but they're like, I, I want to just talk about crypto. I want to talk about gaming. I want to talk about some very specific sci-fi movie, and they would just start like building out these audiences around it and have moderators come in and just it becomes so custom like if you if you're a part of some discords that have these big rabbit followings it's all so customized right and and uh, they all feel like they're in this community together they can be comfortable with each other that they couldn't find that comfort and value anywhere else like it's not on instagram it's not on facebook it's not anywhere else but they could feel like they were there with friends and so i think to your point every one of these platforms kind of did something that was different and unique and served an audience that was not well served yeah. by anybody else. So so what does it mean for crypto, right? Which is kind of a decentralized social media. And uh, we will see, right? Um, but the, if you look at all these platforms, nobody became big of the feature. It became big because of the people they mm -hmm. had. Mm -hmm. And I think with uh, something like Podcaster, all the smart people in crypto are there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and you're getting smarter people outside of crypto. And what if we get some of the smartest, you know, um, uh, uh, maybe let's take fast track, uh, fast track uh, aside for a second. Let's look at something like Substack. Their Substack has become a phenomenon over the last uh, two years. How? By taking these people who really had an inbuilt audience of voice, but wasn't actually either, you know, they were uh, didn't have a way to write long form piece and get an audience, or they were underserved by the New York Times or all these large establishments they're working for. They were like, hey, we're going to take you and give you an audience. So they took these underserved people who had huge social capital and built a platform on them. So I think for crypto, and nobody has done this yet, you know, podcaster as interesting as but we will see, is you have to get people, uh, audience that others aspire to be and want to be close to who are underserved and get them over, which is also interesting because, you know, I actually think the folks who use these platforms are not going to be The Rock, are not going to be Kendall Jenner, uh, not going to be Charlie Demilio because they are already super yeah, well good. They're good. They have, you know, uh, The Rock is great on Instagram. He has like 250 million followers. He doesn't need, you know, uh, a place where all can, but I think the young voices, people like you, people like the folks, hopefully in the comments, be like, hey, you know, this is a place where you can build your own brand, your own following. You can be the Charlie D'Amelio of something new, or you can be the Kylie Jenner of something new. That's appeal. Has it been done yet? No, but I think that's how things will play out. That's an interesting way to put it. Uh, the question 
around crypto then is how do you so we have probably there's probably a decent amount of this audience who's deeply skeptical of crypto and you can't really blame them um after the two years and after sbf so how would you then how would you diagnose what went wrong i guess over the last two years and how to come out of it as somebody who works in the crypto space or, or did anything go wrong um like is that a false narrative well obviously i think a lot of i, I would say i think i have to come back to the the casino versus the uh, the computer part, yeah. uh, uh, and the reason why one of the let me kind of answer it in a roundabout way. Uh, I, I sometimes I think about crypto as a religion, but there are multiple paths to it. And if you look at the history of crypto, uh, you know the origin of crypto came from the cypherpunks, right? The libert uh, uh, the libertarians who were like, hey, we um, you know we want to be self sovereign. Um, you know, we kind of like reject the idea of fiat currency. We reject the idea of central banking. Uh, you folks know, for example, like folks like the bankless people. Um, a lot of these kind of origin of crypto came from that world. Like, in the, you know, Satoshi used to hang out on somebody's cypherpunk mailing list, obviously, 10, 12 years ago. But over the era, like I think different churches evolved and different kinds of people start coming. And if you look at, say, the last two years, um, you know, on the NFT side, it was often creators who are like, hey, I don't want to give the streaming company this share of my proceeds. I want to build a fan base and have direct access to them. And I'm not terribly sure they really cared about the cyberpunk origins. They were trying to solve a very different use case. So right. my personal church, by the way, is I spent right. eight, 10 years uh, in these large centralized social media companies. And I saw over time, like what it means to, you know, have one small set of people make decisions a lot of people. Right? And I was a part of it. Uh, but now I'm like, okay, there has to be a better way. The internet was not meant to be run by a few people making all the decisions. That's not what got me into tech in the 90s. That's not, you know, without internet technology, our thing I wouldn't have met. We met online. Right. Like, mm -hmm. you know, without the internet, we would be, you know, not be here talking to you folks. Right. We wouldn't, <laughs> we wouldn't have anything that we have today. Um, and so, but this is not the internet I signed up for. So, my religion on crypto is the global computer. The idea that you can run these things as protocols and not, uh, you know, uh, uh, and not companies, uh, which is what's really interesting. Now, so that's what keeps you bullish. Now, is there been a lot of bad stuff happening, especially by folks in the Bahamas? Absolutely. But that is a casino. And, you know, uh, uh, but I think the answer to that, and we can get into that, it's going to be more regulation. It's going to be, uh, uh, you know, better technology. There's going to be a bunch of stuff in there. But I'm, look, I'm, I'm going to do this for long, many, many years. So I'm very biased. But I really, really believe in the global computer part of uh, crypto. I also think, I think, uh, you know, right before this show started, we were talking about content and tourists. And I think in the last couple of years for crypto, we had a lot of tourists. Uh, mm. And there were just people who were like, oh, this looks shiny. I could like make cash out like a quick buck and just go off and never look at this again. And they were not like builders. They were just here to just be on the scene. And we knew they were going to leave. They knew they were going to leave. And now they've left. Um, and, and I think, you know, as much as it feels like a crypto winter, I think it's good because uh, builders can actually just continue yeah. building. And I think... Uh, you're seeing that and we talk to all these startups, you know, especially like when you look at like uh, decentralized infrastructure startups, boring as hell, but those are the things that actually gets things done, right? Mm. Like, well, they're boring. Uh, I mean, we we yeah. both are infra people, like this yeah. is our bread and butter. We, we know that on this stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, if we did like a show on just, you know, ZK proofs, half the people would fall asleep. We would be listening. Great. But, uh, it, it, but yes, it, 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 yeah, but, you know, it's not as cool and glamorous as like, you know, Hollywood celebrities selling NFTs. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these are the people building things. And I, you know, I'm very optimistic about that. Yeah, but, but one interesting thing about a forecaster or somebody's web social, zero part of the appeal is you will make money from it. Mm. 
There's nothing about it which is about the financialization or you know you'll make capital. It is purely about the dynamics of building an audience, participating in the conversation, all that stuff that goes to social media. I actually think that's a very interesting thing. For example, I think it comes up in like you know like for other spaces like gaming too, where the core part of I think these apps have to be not the implicit promise of you can trade on this or you can become wealthy. Uh, the core part of it, obviously you can own things and you're sovereign, that's key. But also like if it's a game, it's amazing and it's fun and it looks great. Um, and with social media, it gives you, we can have a long conversation of what social media, but use social media. And I actually think it's a very interesting point about Farcaster, which I always say like, there is nothing in Farcaster, which if you install it today, says like, hey, you ever gonna make any money? That's not part of the thing at all. It's gonna be like, sign up, there's gonna be great people here. You're gonna participate, it's gonna be fun time. Mm. So, uh, okay. To be fair to, we'll hit some other crypto stuff a bit later, but I want to be fair to the crypto market and also talk about other areas that that have struggled that also directly relate to what we all do, uh, the creator economy space. Um, I'm fascinated by this discourse. So a couple of useful um, data points that I should be able to link to. So A, the Edison Research Report came out. It's basically the main cataloger or chronicler how the podcast industry is looking. And after the initial COVID boom, aka you've got your Zoom, you got your mic that came through Amazon, and you just wanted to launch something and put it on Anchor, uh, the creation of new podcasts has really like collapsed in the past year. Um, a lot of shows are quote unquote pod fading. It's where you kind of like post a lot, then you uh, stop posting. Basically, like the underlying like reality here is that. It's difficult space. A lot of companies that were founded on this idea that like there was this broad, this is kind of me quoting Lee Jin here, another post um, that she wrote, the Harvard Business Review I'll put in the show notes. She wrote this like great piece, which is like, the dream is this creator middle class. It's not, you don't have to make a lot of money by having a million Mr. Beasts. Like actually you could build a whole economy based on someone making 50, 60, mm -hmm. 70, 80, maybe even $30,000. Those just didn't really happen as much. So would love to hear from the two of you, a couple different uh, directions. So A, what's it been like to be a creator during the boom and then the correction? And then two, just what are your big thoughts about the creator economy and podcasting as a whole as the industry itself has kind of gone through those narrative shifts? Yeah, both great questions. I think uh, we both are very much in the thick of it now, but when we started uh, over two years ago, we didn't start out to be creators. Our, our journey was this, right? Like we... Discovered Clubhouse, um, our common friend Mark Andreessen was like, you should get on this platform and sent us an invite when it was, you know, everybody had like three invites to send out. And uh, we were like, okay, we should go check it out. Thick of the pandemic, uh, I think uh, November, December 2020, it's kind of when we started out being like, well, we should, we should like kind of host these like virtual conversations on it. It's audio only, you know, you don't have to get dressed up. There's no camera, just like pick up the phone, talk into it, and there's your room and there's your conversation. And that's kind of how our show started. Um, and then we started doing these shows like three, four days a week because we had nothing better to do. Like we're not meeting anyone. We're not going anywhere. So might as well just do this. So through the pandemic, this was this was something that we just like really took part in every evening. Um, and, uh, and then our show blew up because, you know, Elon Musk came on the show, Mark Zuckerberg came on the show. And then everyone's like, who, who the hell are these two? They're not creators. Why? Why are they here? Um, and so for for us, Clubhouse was great as a platform because we would have never done this if this was the initial entry into content creation. And I'm saying all this because um, you know, since then we've moved on to YouTube, done video. I think on video now we we started like what last June, July. So it's about like 35 ish episodes in. 
and it's it's a very different ball game and i think when people start creating content i think they underestimate how much effort goes into creating content um and it's not just being in front of the camera and saying the right things and just that part like recording it it's all the downstream work it's about like editing it's about what you're cutting out or if you're interviewing a guest do they have a good time are you framing the right conversation are you talking about the timely current topics um you know are you the social media side of things are you doing a substack like all the downstream stuff that we all know about and that's the game the it's a very unsexy game that you know people don't talk about when what it takes to become a creator because all they see is like the polished finished project the product out there and so i think people give up uh, it's just you know most people don't want to go beyond the first even 8 10 episodes even and the ones who make it after that i think make it to like 20 or so there is like a huge fall off after the uh-huh. 20 episodes and uh, it's just really hard and i i think that's kind of where we came from if it hadn't been for like this audio platform mm-hmm. easing us into this we probably yeah. wouldn't be here yeah i i spot so many i think so right like so many, it's, this is so hard by the way as a guest we're having a great time here uh, i know yeah, uh, i was going to i was going to say that the peter griffin family guy joke she said it oh she said it the good time what what the reference it right good thing <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and uh that one's somewhat dirty like maybe that's not that uh, but okay <laughs> so um uh, i think we've spoken to so many people who were very accomplished in their domain they were an instagram influencer or often a vc or a ceo and they were like i'm going to do a podcast right you do five episodes right you get like 10 views right and you get like your you know uh, your colleague your vp being like great episode and nobody says anything and you're like gosh this is hard right or, uh, yeah it's the worst when that one episode when you thought you did great and then nobody talks about it and there are no comments no yeah. views and you're like god damn it like i had such a great yeah. conversation why didn't you like reciprocate this and the story which hurt me the most when we were doing content uh arthi knows about this arthi's parents who are delightful live in chennai india right are amazing amazing people not probably the folks who subscribe to podcasts like these uh but they listen to us right because i'm the son of law she's a daughter and one time they were they're, like they're tough love they're tough love tough love very indian <laughs> one time they were like they said they said i was watching one of your live streams and it had three viewers and i didn't want to close the tab because i didn't want it to go down to two so i left it <laughs> open and i will say you know as a the content was not great but i didn't have the heart to close it but you were better yeah so i would say as somebody you know who's parents you know, who are listening don't say this is the actual yeah. takeaway I, i would say as a son in law you know <laughs> son in law who is supposed to be successful and doing things to hear your mother in law say like i didn't want to close the tab oh, but what's worse was she was like you know there's this other cooking show that we watch on youtube That guy has 2 million subs. He does great content. He's so funny, this guy. I, I, you and you what? should like try and like see what he does. I, I watch the show. That. It's like this sweet old lady with this janky camera in her kitchen who has 2 million subs. And I'm like, what the F is going on? <laughs> so anyway, so point I get is, it. Yeah. It's hard, right? The point is it's hard. And I think most people can't get past that, right? They, it's an art. It's a part. And 90% of it, I think, credit to you folks, you know, um, Sagar, so many folks. Is great. But I think if you figure it out, that you can become a phenomenon. I'll give you two examples. Lex Friedman, Andrew Huberman. I think Sagar, Crystal, you folks, definitely in there. I think without COVID, it would have been really hard 
for you to be catapulted all the way to the top, mm-hmm. right? Because I think somebody like Rogan, all the other platform started blowing up through COVID because people had more freedom. Listen, but human was pure. After a quick thing, after 10 years of podcasting. Yeah. Like that's yeah. the important part of the Rogan story. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. right? But yeah, but Huberman blew up uh, through COVID because people had time and Huberman's fantastic, right? Uh, he has a lot of life experience. He's super, uh, you know, authentic, academically rigorous, uh, helpful, doesn't treat his audience like idiots. So he does so many things amazingly well. But I think, you know, so I think if you can crack it on the other side, I would say one point though, I do think there is a reckoning happening where a lot of folks are like, hey, we can make a business from this right, are mm-hmm. finding out that it's really hard. Yeah. Because yes. one thing to, uh, and I think the common, and I think I want to give credit to Colin Samir, uh, who are amazing, published press, go subscribe to the channel, amazing people. They've taught me a lot about content creators. They were like, when you're a creator, you do one thing really well. You Maybe you're amazing at putting to the great videos, hosting great conversations, but then building a business, whole other thing. You need to run a merch shop, right? Or maybe you need to get people to come to your class where you teach something, but you don't want to teach something. You want to just put out like banger videos or you want to like do a live event, but that's not your modality either. And I think for a lot of folks, they were like, well, I'm good at this thing. I love doing it every single day. I love doing TikTok dances or I love doing this interview. Poverty, that's great. But now to make money, I have to do this whole other thing over here. And that's not natural to me. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. And I think that's actually a lot of the reckoning which is happening. But I actually think, like, I mean, Sagar, you've been living this a lot longer than I have. You probably have much better take than I do. Yeah, I mean, no, I actually completely agree. Uh, I lived through the same thing, you know, initial Substack, you know, after we launched our Supercast, I had friends reach out to me and be like, hey, I think I could do this. And I'm like, maybe don't, you know, it's like, or it's one of those where I'm like, hey, you know, I that's a great idea, but what's your plan? Like, what's your value add? You know, like break, like people don't, people, you know, people see the realignment Supercast or breaking points, but like there's a hell of a lot of hours of thought that goes into how we think about it and what we're actually adding and what people are getting and the consistency and the realism and then how we, you know, take those dollars and spend them. And, you know, we spend time, Marshall and I checking in with people being like, hey, you know, are you liking the product? Like I spend a lot of time always thinking about like, look, some lady out there gave me $10 a month. And like, I got to make, I got to make sure that this lady feels appreciated every day and people cancel. And, you know, then you got to be like, okay, well, you know, what's the legitimate one versus like, it's like, okay, just go away. You know? And it's like, well, you know, how do you balance that? And then even in terms of the conception of the business itself, that's actually the number one mistake that I see people make. You know, I, I, there's a lot, I just filmed a fitness video today at my gym. It's a good example. And there's a guy there, he's got like 14,000 followers and, you know, he's, he's young and he's one of these, like, this is going to be it, man. Like, this is how I'm going to make it. And I, I I was trying to explain to him, I'm like, dude, I know people with 300,000 followers who make no money. And he's like, oh, how, he's like, how is that possible? I said, listen, fitness, highly commoditized. You know, what is the actual He's like, yeah, but I could sell supplements or whatever with my link. I'm like, dude, you're gonna pull like five cents. Another you know, commodity on an product, like, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Like, you <laughs> this know, it's like, way gonna, is the unique way, you know, right. like. I, I, and I was trying to explain, I'm like, you know, if you want to make any real money in this game, there are people out there, for example, who probably have 5,000 followers who are making 15 times with the guy with 300,000 followers because he's got a better business or, you yeah. know, those 5,000 are niched in and they're bought in totally to the vision and they'll buy a $5,000 a year fitness, you know, package one-on-one. That's yeah. how, you, how you can make real money. But in his head, like that did not compute. No. And I think that's the biggest, that's you, a, you know, you that's the biggest gap. Like, What's up? Me- do you continue to tell them that like, you know, when you give them when you talk to these folks, I part of me is like, oh, my God, you're so naive. You know, know. The things, the battle scars that you're going to have through this journey. 
dude, like, don't even. And then the part of me is like, don't be cynical. Like, let them go. Yeah, you're right. Let them try it. How how do you figure out what the balance is? So I, I'm being cynical here. Uh, in terms yeah. of what I said, I said, hey, I'm glad you're having a good time. Uh, <laughs> well, no, but that's, that's important. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's more substantive than it sounds. Right. Right. I, I was like, hey, I'm really glad that you're having a good time. Here's some warnings. Here's some things to think about. And that's it. <laughs> And and I think that's actually, you know, nine out of 10 times, I have a lot of friends who are in the space. F two months later, they'll be like, yeah, you were right. And I was like, okay. yeah, you know, I know, but yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Like, so, for example, just like a podcast, right? Like, you yeah. know, kind of starting. Podcasts are hard. So, you know, every once in a while, I see YouTube comment, which is like, this podcast is burning. I'm like, okay. So, for example, this, both of us, we are friends. We know each other pretty yeah. well. Uh, you know, Sagan and I have known each other for quite a while. This took three months to schedule, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you cancel once, we cancel once. We have yes. all this stuff going on. <laughs> Second, like, that's actually the best scenario because we all know each other. We trust each other. We have a fun, hopefully a fun dynamic. Comments okay. letters. Um, but often, you're like, well, I want to get this guest, but they don't want to come on. They're hard to schedule. Or, or you get this very famous person you need to bring on, but you hate that person. But you're like, all right, yeah. well, maybe this person is going to bring you views. And that's the only thing that matters. And, you know, and all of a sudden, we see the same person doing like five different podcasts. Yeah. You also be like, well, I need to do this thing, which is applicable to my audience. But also that person wants to talk about that. And they don't want to talk yep. about it. And you're trying to square the circle. We once had this PR person, many, this is happened a while ago, who took five calls with us to basically say, you cannot talk about this person's dating history. Yeah. Uh, let folks kind of speculate who this, uh, who the person was. And we were like, we have no interest in it. So you're trying half to, of Hollywood. Yeah. Like, oh, and, what? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and also you're trying to kind of like, well, what is the YouTube algorithm, right? Like, so for example, right? Uh, if you look at Andrew Schultz, like uh, Schultz does an amazing job. Like I'm going to talk about the banger thing in the zeitgeist right now, whether it's chat GPT, whether it is uh, JLo and Ben Affleck at the Grammys. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about that because YouTube algorithm is going to pop me up. So does this mean that we need to mention, you know, um, pick your example, like pick. So all these things going on at the heart of video, like, let's just have a fun conversation. Like, is this going to be interesting? Am I having, a, because if you're not having fun, you just burn out. Exactly. This yes. is where RT really comes in handy. RT has so much more of a work ethic than I do. I'm a lazy you know, Bofo. And Art is a Firam's the visionary, and I'm the one who does the work. He's the that idea guy. Yeah. Arti, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who's like, we need to do this. We need to get this out there. And she's the one looking at the metrics. She's the one be like, hey, have you followed up with this person? And otherwise, I'm like, I give up. Like, the, the people in the comments didn't like me, right? This sucks. And she's like, no, we're going to keep doing it. Anyway, so yeah. folks in the comments, give up props to Sagar and Marshall. This stuff is picking up. Well, no, something don't, uh, this, I'm not even going to read them. So don't this worry. is a so yeah, a couple a couple of thoughts here because this should be more discussion based anyway since we know each other. So number one, I think the key thing to what someone should take away from here is I got so frustrated with how ideological a lot of the framings of everything we're talking about became. Um, and I kind of even mean it in a really political sense. Like Sagar, you and I know a bunch of creator types who are in our category, people yeah. who are in. DC and New York usually who, and sorry, these are people you were talking about coming to you were like, you know, you're right. Like screw having a boss. So like screw media companies, like on my own, I'm independent and didn't think really analytically about like, okay, so I'm a good, and th this is me. This is what I struggle with personally. I'm a great interviewer. I'm so good at it. I could do it for hours and hours and hours and hours. I'm not great at the business operation stuff. It's like, no, I'd have to, I, I probably should look into an Adderall prescription if I want to really like be hitting the right notes there. Uh, so without performance enhancement, I just can't do it at the same level. So when you're, when I'm thinking about like, do I want to be making the majority of my living off of the realignment? I shouldn't be thinking, man, like the idea of a boss does suck. And I am an independent critic. I should actually be thinking, no, dude, what do you do six months from now? 
when you want to buy a house and you have a mortgage, the boss looks a lot better. And this goes to like another point that I'd like to talk about too, which is that like, this doesn't get mentioned enough in the tech circles. So I think it's uncomfortable, but like, let's talk about the New York Times. I think the New York Times as a business story is one of the most interesting business stories of all time. So think about the 2008 metaphor. We're talking about 2008, the uh, financial crisis. New York Times has to be sold to like a Mexican billionaire. They're laying everybody off. They have all these problems. You have all these new companies like HuffPost, BuzzFeed, um, Mike. I can't even name all these places because they're all vice. They're coming in saying that like, look at the legacy companies. The New York Times is the hotel and the taxi company of the media space almost all of those like digital new media companies basically flamed out. Um, mm -hmm. The New York Times is doing better than ever. Um, I would love to hear your articulation of what those 10 to 12 years looked like and how you kind of see this play out. Because the thing that I'm really interested in thinking about is like, A, um, the New York Times leaned into the fact that there's kind of two different categories of media moving forward. Mine would be, there's like the New York Yankees, which is what the Times is, which is like, look, I'm going to pay 15 a month, but I'm just going to get all these people. And then the other side of the table is individual creators. So like, I love tech. I love culture. I'm going to trust like RT and Trio. That's what I'm going to basically do. If you're just a digital media brand, so like you don't have the ability to hire the Yankees, but you also can't keep a stable of like really impressive creators, you're just kind of stuck with nothing. You're stuck without like either the advantages of a brand, nor do you have the advantages of being like a trusted individual voice. So it just seems like they got caught there. But like, I mean, yeah, what I'm really hearing is that BuzzFeed should have been investing in individual creators in 2015. If like BuzzFeed had put together a, a, a like a Vine or TikTok house, that would have been really interesting as an alternate universe. But like, how do you guys think about this dynamic? Um, I look at it as, uh, you know, mine is a very tech-focused kind of, that's, that's the lens that I'm coming from, right? And uh, there is a reason why, at least from like the tech space, people are trusting these big media publications a lot lesser. Um, we understand what's going on with respect to, like, you know, if you talk about layoffs or if you talk about, like, the internal workings of an Uber or whatever, we know what, like, the reality is versus what is being written. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can kind of see the delta there. And then I think everybody goes and, like, well, if there is a gap here, what else are they getting incorrectly there kind of thing? I also think... I, and I'm very biased about this, so big caveat there, but it's it's hard to build things and be a founder. Uh, if you have all the odds stacked up against you, the last thing you want is like some media publication just dumping on you all the time. And I think it's really hard to... Look, a lot of tech deserves criticism uh, for a bunch of things, right? And, uh, and a lot of these have been covered. I'm not going to go into details, but... When they start picking on like some really tiny two-person founder startup trying to go build something and being like, look at those people, those people don't deserve to exist. That's kind of when it really hurts, where you're like, well, I don't trust you guys because I just mm -hmm. don't think, I think you have a very cynical view of how technology works. And uh, and I know I this is a point where Sharam and I don't often agree on. So the, my view is like, this is why people are thinking about decentralization when it comes to technology. Mm -hmm. This is why people are thinking about I should just get my news and stories and everything from everybody else. Like I am going to the grassroots. I'm going to subscribe to tech podcasts. I am going to get information from the source because the the intermediary here is not giving me the full clear picture. And so I'm in that camp. And uh, I, do, I don't know if this is going to be a longstanding thing, 
But right now, when I look at like coverage of news, especially like technology news about like startups and founders, it's just not there. It's like, God damn it, just let them build stuff. Like, you know, sure, it might not work out. We all know it might not work out. Every 70% of startups fail. We know that. Like, you don't need like another person to come in and yeah. say that. Yeah. Uh, Arti is very, very, you know, for uh, it has strong views on this uh, topic. Uh, I think I agree, you know, but I think on the new media companies, maybe it's worth examining why why did a lot of them not work out? As maybe if you went back to 2014, 2015, every one of them was seen as a replacer, you know, the replacement for the NBCs of the world. Um, I'm a big believer in a lot of things in life and technology, especially that uh, of the barbell effect. Mm. Uh, where you either have you have things at two ends of spectrum, and big and small individual large new and old and things in the middle you are doomed um yes. and that's a pattern that i think can used to play out in many many things in life um and, okay. and the reason why i think in tech is tech especially has uh this kind of this complex system dynamic where uh things start compounding and once things start compounding you can't stop them and they tend to wind up at the edges uh and what this means is um a lot of these new media companies where neither uh, a 100 year old institution lindy Right, uh, yeah. which had the brand, uh, you know, uh, 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 which had like the history to kind of draw upon the institutional credibility, and where neither the individuals, right, like kind of the the folks are like, hey, I am connecting to say uh, uh, Ben Smith, mm -hmm. I'm not connected to Buzzfeed, right? I'm connecting to you know Sagar, I'm not connected to you know your yeah, the hill. Company. No, that's exactly that's exactly oh, what happened. Right? That's it, Sagar, and, not the hill. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of what these companies were. I think about them as they were kind of like trading firms. You know, a lot of trading firms were like, you invent a new trading strategy and you have an edge. You're mm -hmm. like, well, I found this new piece of data, which lets us get an edge. They were doing the same, but for social media algorithms, right? They were like, mm -hmm. we have an edge, right? Um, maybe it's the, you know, we autoplay this video and we cut this together uh, and you maybe tie a bunch of strings around, you know, a pumpkin, like whatever it is, we have an edge and that, you know, and that's how we get our audience, we get our views. The challenge is that's a great strategy, but you have to continue sustaining the edge. If you're a trading firm, those edges get equalized out by the market, right? Other smart people come in. You have to keep finding new edges or you got to find something that nobody can compete with, right? Things that nobody can compete with, Sagar being Sagar, right? Hopefully, yep. RT and me being RT and me. Things that people can compete with, you having an understanding the metrics of social media algorithm because there's going to be TikTok, there's going to be something else and you can't keep up. And I think a lot of folks had two issues. One, they wound up in the middle. Right. Two, as they kind of raise a lot of capital, et cetera, they kind of got really distracted with a lot of internal issues, often like culture issues. And somewhere in there, you know, they were like, well, our real key asset is our talent. And how do you kind of use that? How, how do you kind of like keep them Lindy or build a long term? And they, kind of, they kind of all got caught in the middle. That's a great way of putting it. I actually love that, which because I lived also through that uh, whenever I started out in, you know, in tabloid media, it was all Facebook. I mean, everything was just geared towards the Facebook algorithm. And then a Facebook single change will nuke 20% of your rev overnight. Killed companies, entire yeah, companies literally were literally killed in one them. night. And I mean, some people should have woken up to that. Uh, you know, I, I I was young enough and I was like a junior employee that I was like, yeah, I don't think this is the way that you want to build a business. Um, but uh, you know, not enough people did. That's a good segue, though, to uh, ChatGPT. That's something you and I have been talking about, Sriram. We've been talking about that with respect to education. Uh, and just side note, I've told you this privately. I mean, Marshall, I told you this too. The amount of user interest in ChatGPT at just an organic level is astounding relative to the amount of media coverage that it gets. I don't know why they're not doing it, 
in terms of our YouTube search data at breaking points, it's literally number one. It's been number one for like two months. And the segments that we do about chat GPT and education, about cheating, we talked about it with Rogan, about a return to more oral education, about how it's going to change um, a lot of those facets of our society. They, the, the interest and the enthusiasm, something I haven't seen on tech in a long, yes. long time. So what do you guys think? Um, you know, like, Education aside, I mean, we could talk about that too if you want, but you know, what frontier is this? What does it even represent um, in tech and how are people thinking about it? What are the lessons that are being taken away? Uh, I think, you know, uh, I'm biased, but I think AI, LLMs, which is what ChatGPT is, and crypto are probably the two most interesting things in technology for a very long time. And they could be as foundational as the iPhone or maybe the invention of the original internet. Uh, because for the first time, you have a way to process really, really large pieces of data and get something which kind of looks like understanding. And we can have like long distance, like what it actually yeah. means on top of it. Now, I think this is going to be foundational on a bunch of, uh, uh, it's going to be transformative in a bunch of ways. First is, and for anybody who's used ChatGPT, you can immediately find out, there's a whole class of companies and jobs which are going to be totally redefined, right? Like, for example, the Super Bowl, if we are shooting this right before the Super Bowl, this is weekend, there's even this whole entire class of, like, content companies which are, like, we just answer the question, like, what time is the Super Bowl? Yeah, and that's kind of, like, right. a whole thing or a much deeper version. All this stuff is going to be gone with ChatGPT, right? right? right. There are much more deeper versions of that because they can just summarize and answer that for you. So, if your company is producing content which somebody can, you know, send, like, a first-year B-school student and summarize off the internet, like, you're going to be in trouble. Like that's mm -hmm. number one. I think this also holds true personally, right? Like if you are in a role which somebody can spend 12 hours on the internet and summarize, and that's the thing that you're doing, I think you're probably going for a hard time too. Because, and it's hard to tell which sectors, like these things are often hard to predict in the short term, what sequence they'll go in. But in the long run, like things which involve summarization, basic level of uh, understanding. Mark marketing copy. Marketing copy. There's been a lot of copywriting, content production. Like we, we don't prepare for podcasts. Aarti had a great idea where she asked Pachar GPT for questions <laughs> to ask uh, people. That's smart. It, yeah. it gives me a good baseline to start yeah. off because I know what like the lowest common denominator set of questions look like. And then I can like keep adding on to it. And it's really like, it's a shortcut on my phone, ChatGPT. And it's like, I kind of use it now way more than Google yeah. huh. because it just gives me a ton of information very quickly. But the thing I love about it is it has memory. Like it can take off of like the previous sentences, stuff that, I mean, uh. okay, based on this, okay, ignore that I said that. But since you said this, what about this other question? And it's yeah. able to like, just take that from memory and just course correct and adjust and pull in. And it's not always accurate. Yes, it's like buggy. Yeah. Uh, we get it. And I also think it's like, yeah, there's a lot of complaints about like, well, you know, the copy isn't great, whatever, but yeah. it's amazing. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah. This is like something that, you know, you could have never ever predicted even like five years ago or 10 years ago. Yeah. And okay, here's, okay, here's my slightly provocative theory. I think this could fundamentally break or change the way the internet works. And here's why, right? For the last 20 years, the foundational sort of, you know, and by the way, this is not original. This comes from um, Chris Dixon, who I work with a lot too. The way the internet works, something like this. Um, you produce a lot of content online. You go to Google. You search for something. Google sends you traffic with 10 blue links. You show ads against it. You make money. Google makes money. Mm -hmm. That's the deal. That's the deal the internet has, right? Like, so, you know, every content company, that's kind of the core mechanic it works. ChatGPT not linking out to anybody, right? Um, and so there's a whole set of questions. I think you know we kind of seen these conversations happening with artists, right? That's super mm -hmm. important creators. Uh, you know that's kind of one part of it. 
But imagine a world where, you know, uh, any one of your previous employers, The Hill, HuffPo, any one of these folks, or any content company, no longer has people being sent traffic. I mean, yeah, they're huge. getting traffic, right? So it kind of sort of changes the way the internet has worked. We're like, hey, you know what? I read you. And I, it's kind of like having an intern kind of summarize something and write up a doc. Well, what does it mean? So I think you might need a fundamentally new business model. I mean, Google's probably going to respond to this and they're going to probably make it better over time. So I think this is going to be super interesting because for the first time, we have to change the way potentially, like, you know, these things are hard to put in short term, but long term, they're easy to put it change the way the internet works. Um, and, and I think- And it's the same with, uh, you know, LLMs is one part of it, but I think the other part, which is like images and stable yeah. diffusion and mid journey and all these tools, you're looking at those going, now you don't need Photoshop. You can mm -hmm. kind of sort of like visualize what you have in mind and kind of like put in prompts and think about it and like spit out content. And it might not be the content that you want to like go publish um, and I think it has a lot of consequences for what does it mean for attribution and artists and all of yeah. that stuff. But if you want to quickly mock something and build out something and spit out like a prototype image or video, whatever, like now you have tools to do it. Like everyone can be a really effective, you know, 80% creator, like the last 20% of like being perfect. I think you're going to, it, there's still a bunch of work to go do there, but it just makes like, I'm really terrible at design stuff. And now I don't have to touch Photoshop. I can just like say, I'm thinking of this with this, but this style and this image and this woman here and whatever, and it just like spits it out. And it's yeah. so powerful. Which service, which service do you use for that? Uh, Stable Diffusion. Okay. Stable Diffusion. I should check that out. Yeah. Just one I, thing, because I want to, I actually want to highlight what exactly we were saying, Sri Ram. I asked ChatGPT to like write me a recipe. And immediately I thought what you were saying, I was like, wait, what about all those recipe blogs? You yeah. know, whenever you Google and you're yeah. like, you know, uh, best recipe for chicken tikka masala. Okay, let's uh, let's put that one out there. <laughs> it, well, let's uh, all of you yeah. send over some chicken tikka masala recipes. But uh, yeah. I think can I make a crypto point here? I yeah. think this is my no, crypto no, Shiram, you can't. <laughs> that was in the other section of the episode. No, <laughs> well, well, uh, crypto is foundation. I think this way crypto is super interesting. I think because one thing crypto does really well is deal with things like, hey, how do we you know route uh, attribution and credit? in yep. a way that things can be verified. Now, lots of interesting problems to be solved here, but you can imagine a future world, mm -hmm. and this is like really Chris Dixon's idea in a lot of ways, where in, you, know, you anything that you do, you produce content of value, you stick that content in this marketplace in the sky, you say, this is how much I want to be paid for it, and then when the AI trains off it, it finds a way to then route money to you based on how much it is used. And the amazing thing about this is then you can build incentive structures. Like, you know, something like ChatGPT, be like, hey, you know what? We don't have enough chicken tikka masala uh, recipes in there, right? Folks of you can kind of make some mean stuff in the kitchen, get in there, and we're willing to pay you even more because we know users are kind of searching for this. And I think this could be very some very interesting uh, application for crypto. But I think Arti made a profound point. I think people are sometimes negative on chat GPT. The, the, Steve Jobs has this amazing quote about like computers being a bicycle for the mind. And chat GPT, stable diffusion, mid-journey, a lot of these companies, uh, Dali, out there are really these amazing bicycles for artists. I was talking to a person who is working on one of the most popular TV shows out there right now, something that all of you have probably seen and watched, and they have a new season coming out. And all of the previous work, pre-visualization work they're doing for the new season is purely, uh, I don't want to say which one, but using one of these companies, right? Uh, and it's wow. like, oh, because instead of now having a graphical artist, like for example, let's make up something, right? I want to have Sagar in a 16th century uh, samurai costume, but in space, right? Right, so we have to mock that up. 
Yeah, yeah. You, you old world, you get an artist and they kind of spin up Unity or Maya and a bunch of stuff and you do something. Now we're like, you literally can go type in something and you get something which is, you can't use in production. It's kind of like 50%. It could be a great way to brainstorm and, you know, tell a story of, you know, Samurai Saga in space. And so uh, I've been seeing it be used everywhere. And I, I'm actually a big fan of technology enabling new creativity like if you go back 100 years right when gramophones were first invented there was huge huge outcry people were like oh my god this would mean people won't sing uh, uh, on their porches like people are no longer going to hang around this is the end of you know human civilization turns out that well that's not really true you know we get some banger songs at the other end of the gramophone yeah i and- think uh, yeah i think a lot of these tools are going to replace what we use today for prototyping i think that's you're already seeing that and it's going to happen a lot of these tools are going to like who are the next set of creators? What does creativity even mean? I think we're going to have all of those conversations. This is going to slip into movies, TV shows, uh, fully AI-generated movie content or video content. Like, what is that going to look like? There's going to be a lot of, like, downstream stuff you have to go figure out on, like, monetization, attribution, all of that stuff. But I think... Yeah, and then you have the, the ethics part of it, right? Like you have the AI ethics and there's yeah. this whole conversation around that. Normal people don't give a shit. Like they don't no, care they don't about care. that stuff. They yeah. just want to like pull up chat GPT, type out stuff, spit out things. And, you know, I, I saw this like whole Twitter thread and I got interested and I did this too. It's like, my weight is this. I want to get to this weight and have this much muscle mass. And I tell me what I should be eating. Put me on a diet and tell me what I should be working out through the week. And it just does it. And it's like, oh, well, like this number to this number, this is your BMI, this is what you need to do. So, hey, you need to like do some strength training and this is your program. And it just like spits out the whole thing. Yeah. Normal people don't care about like the the ethics of all of this stuff and the Ooh. morality behind it. They just want a tool that works and just mm-hmm. like gives you the thing. But I'm not sure. I, I, I want to push, I, I push back on that real quick. I, I want to push back too. Yeah. yeah so let me just uh, top off, which is, well, it won't be very unfair here. Um, A... They don't care now because they're not thinking about it literally. Um, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think it's dangerous to say, not dangerous, right? Because the stakes aren't that high. It depends on your industry. I think right now consumers don't care, but just as you see like organic food, um, there's always like, you know, like meat and like kind of hours like pushed back against like, you know, fake meat, all those different things. I don't think we can predict like what social movements are going to come about, where I think you are going to have some version, especially probably in the 2030s of like, return to tradition but like unironically with like creators and the other thing too to just tie it into the creator cars issue had earlier this is also where the creator middle class thing is very fascinating because maybe it's not that like every single creator is gonna like make all this money but yeah. it's that if you want a food blog Sagar, to your point about like oh like i used to go to a food blog well if you're running a food blog now then you have to kind of behave like a creator yeah. you have to like have a good compelling instagram presence you have to be yeah. like it's because like the thing is like i think about this with like i don't use TikTok. So I'm a Reels, I'm an unironic Reels user. Like I kind of have relationships with the people who like, I like scroll through. I'm like, oh, like this person moved to LA. They're not in New York anymore. Yeah. And like Olivia, my fiance, we're talking like, oh yeah, like it wasn't working out for her. So she yeah, had but, to move. So that, that, that's, that's just a critical thing. Away from that. You know, it doesn't, it's not mutually exclusive. Like you want information that is like Googleable, and you get it and that's mm-hmm. it. Like, you, you don't think about a relationship with Google. It's just a search yeah. result. And I think yeah. it's a very similar thing. And I think, all the AI ethics stuff, like I, nobody can explain to me what AI ethics really means. It AI, takes, like, some I think classes. often AI ethics, and it's going to be spicy. AI ethics often means like I don't agree with you, and mm-hmm. I, uh, and I actually I actually want to disagree with Aki on something, which I think that the fact that people don't care about the the politics, the culture of it, I do think they will care because it'll be downstream. Have you folks yes. seen Have you folks seen Dan in the Chat GPT context? No. You know what Dan is? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, well, uh, this might be an interesting thing to go Google for people. So uh, a bunch of people on Reddit uh, try to find a way uh, to basically hack ChatGPT. Uh, and Dan is basically, you know, do anything now. Uh, and uh, and it's sort of this me, think of it just like, you know, somebody kind of like break, uh, root your I- uh, iPhone where you can kind of run code that it's not supposed to. Oh, it's like jailbreak, jailbreak. Yeah, yeah. 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 Jailbreaking. It does that in a spiritual way for ChatGPT. So ChatGPT has all these rules. It can't talk about certain topics. It can't talk, talk yeah. about certain things. It'll refuse to. Um, and Dan is basically a jailbreak for ChatGPT where a bunch of editors, uh, instead of this amazing internet way of figuring out ways around rules, where like, well, you type this in and you can get ChatGPT to do anything you want. And I don't even say what you can get things to do, but there's a bunch of interesting spicy examples online uh, for folks to find. And I think that what, what's interesting is, well, you know, it, it, what does this mean for the morality, the values? Like, for example, like, you know, I, I have a lot of, we have a lot of fans in India. Uh, do they get to say, you know, what their value should be uh, when they use their version of chat GPT? Uh, would the Chinese government be happy with, you know, uh, what, you know, what you know, some LLM runs. I think there'll be all these interesting questions and I don't want to kind of make this yet another thing about like who makes the policies for stuff we run, but I do think it's going to be a very crucial part of all of this. I yeah, no, I, I, oh, go ahead, Arti. Yeah. I, I, I feel like we're like overthinking this all so much. I, I just don't, like, you know, at the end of the day, what is the thing that you wanted to do? You wanted to help you get your stuff done faster. You wanted to get information to you quicker. Like that is like, I think we're like overthinking all this like morality, culture, all of that stuff. You look at like, you know, you go to the DMV, you have like forms to go fill out or any place where you have this like zillion text boxes and fields that you want to fill out. You know how, like when you look at that form, you're like, I don't want to do this today. You can solve that. Like this problem gets solved. It's not a thing anymore. Turns out that we should never be in this business of filling out these like insane forms. Uh, They're... There are systems, code that you can write that just pulls in information and fill it out for you and figure out all of that stuff. Why wouldn't you use it? Yeah. Like, what is this whole well, like I, I think, thing about? I think you know, this is when Arthur and I disagree. It's interesting. I actually think it's important because, for example, as video creators, you know there are phrases that you, if you say, yeah, it's bad things happen to you. I don't want to say them. Anything to happen in the events of the last two years, anything that happened with certain former administrations, you get demonetized or the algorithm might do things to you. And we all kind of like, well, we can't even talk about it. You know, we can't even refer to it because it's like, you know, it's like, uh, 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 it's sort of like the Voldemort, uh, you can't say uh, this name. And um, the, the debate is really not about- Sagar was going to say something. We oh, sorry. Okay, I got oh, no, 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 no. I was, I, was, I was saying to me, this is one of those things where you're right, Arthi, most people don't give a shit and they're never going to. That yeah. said, it will impact enough culturally relevant things that as Sri Ram is pointing to, it will then become downstream of that. So I know this from YouTube. 99.9% of people on YouTube don't have to deal with any of the problems that I have to deal with because yeah. you're doing like toy unbo- toy unboxing. That said, a lot of people do care that political creators like myself have to walk all these crazy lines whenever it comes to YouTube. So. Yeah. It's, it's not a problem for most people who use YouTube, but it was one of those that became a problem in a very, very important, small-D democratic way that then 
people have to care about. So my, the, I would square the circle to say, the, you're right. Look, the vast majority of people who are encountering this, they're not gonna, it, it's not gonna matter. The vast majority of censorship only disproportionately impacts people exactly who are in my business. But I know people who work in the toy unboxing space or whatever, you know, to give an example, they care a lot about this because they've also seen small, tiny examples that have bled into their realms. And then they see how in this case, how it could then bleed over to that. And then, you know, people are, you know, civically minded in, in some case. So like civics is one of those things where, you know, it's hard to define, it's hard to even think about, but people do care. Um, about how it's shaping us. That that's how I would square what you guys are talking about. But uh, actually, Marshall's got to go. I know because he has another recording, and I, I know you guys are busy as well. But I just want to say I love this conversation. I, I really had a good time with you guys, and I'm glad that we could finally make it to work. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining. He said the words. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and can you guys yeah. shout out um, all the channels, the places? Can yeah, find where can you? everybody find you? Yeah, uh, we are Arthi and Shriram's Good Time Show on YouTube, and. Uh, RTR Shriram K on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. On Forecaster, uh, and, and, uh, and Arthi and Shriram Subscribe, like, uh, high Subscribe, five. like, guys. Links will poke. be down to all of those. You know, all down. the 2000s uh, Facebook things. Oh, yeah. Poke. There you <laughs> poke. go. Link, uh, links to everything down in the description, show notes, etc. cetera. Uh, follow these. They're, they're some of the good ones. So thank you. We really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something, like this sort of mission, or want to access our subscriber-exclusive Q&A, bonus episodes, and more, go to realignment.supercast.com and subscribe to our $5 a month, $50 a year, or $500 for lifetime membership rates. See you all next time.